be reading from Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. This is the word of God. Are you prepared to die? Some of you might have been watching a few weeks ago when DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills collapsed during a Monday night football game after taking a hit to the chest at the exact right millisecond of his heartbeat's rhythm. Now, if you were watching the game, it didn't take long to realize that this was not a normal football injury. Even though you couldn't see DeMar Hamlin's body on the field, you could see his teammates and the reaction of the medics, and you knew something was seriously wrong. And later we would learn that his heart actually stopped beating and he had to be revived right there on the field. And since then, he has progressed. He is expected to make a recovery and be able to live a very normal life in the future. But for the first few hours and days following that event, no one knew that would be the case. No one knew if he would be okay. The game was canceled immediately because it didn't matter. Even though from the stance of football, you know, it mattered, it didn't matter anymore. Um, And you could see sports reporters who had rarely, if ever, talked about death on the air or even spirituality or the future life begin to give their insights and opinions. And there are moments when, as a society, we are forced to collectively wrestle with the reality and inevitability of death. Sometimes it's one person that for some reason our culture is captured by as it was in this case. Other times it's more communal events such as mass shootings or something like COVID who I know affected uh, family members of New Eden family here. And I don't bring up death just because I want to start the sermon out on a morbid note. I bring it up because our passage from Hebrews talks about the reality of death. And in fact, it doesn't take long to read the scriptures before you start looking at the reality of death. Just Genesis chapter three, it's there. The reality is no matter who you are, no matter what generation you were born in, no matter what culture or what part of the world you are born into, death will be a part of your life. Death is the singular most consistent thing that humans face. You will die. And so the question I propose to you this morning as we look at our text is this. Are you prepared to die? So good morning again, church, and welcome to this gathering of New Eden here at our building that we named the Garden. We specifically named it the Garden because you, the people, are New Eden Church. Uh, That sometimes causes confusion. Someone thought we changed our name to the Garden. I've heard that one uh, when we moved in this building. Also, this week on the little ring doorbell, if you ever come here, you can leave me a little message and I'll get it um, out front. But this woman looks in the building and she says, 
oh no, it's not a church anymore, and then moves on. So I was like, well, joke's on you. We are the church, so um, that's what you get. But anyways, I don't know. So I am glad to be a part of this local expression of the universal church from all times and all places. If I've not been able to meet you yet, my name is Joel, um, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at New Eden. Today, we are continuing in our series through Hebrews. We are finishing up chapter two. So what you just heard read, verses 14 through verse 18, which is the end of the chapter. So let's see if you guys remember what we practiced last week. The theme of the book of Hebrews is... Uh, let's try it again. The theme of the book of Hebrews is? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's it, right? He is greater. He is supreme. He is superior, however you want to say it, right? The preacher of Hebrews has to this point and will continue to make it clear that Jesus is superior to the best things you've ever known, and he's better than the worst things you've ever experienced. We saw he's greater than the angels, we saw that he is the true and better human. We saw that he is the true and better older brother. And this week we're going to see that as powerful as death is, Jesus is greater. As I said a moment ago, the scriptures do not sugarcoat the reality and issues that death brings up. And our passage today is just as honest. It does not sugarcoat what death is. And so we're gonna start right there by looking at the problem of death. This is the first point we have, the problem of death. In verses 14 and 15, there are a few different truths that our preacher acknowledges about the problem of death. Three that I wanna highlight. The first one is death is scary. In verse 15, our preacher says that humans all their lives are held in slavery by the fear of death. When we begin to think about death in one way or another, it grips us and it scares us. I think death is scary because it's, it's unknown, right? It's, it's brutal. You can't ask someone who's died what, it, what it's like because they're gone. You can't try to learn about the experience like you can maybe with marriage or parenting or starting a business or something else scary. There's also the fears of all the things associated with death, right? When I think about death, I actually don't think I fear death as much as like what death encompasses. How am I going to die? Is it going to be painful? Is it going to be over a long process? We might have the fear of our loved ones having to take care of us like we've had to take care of others. We might have the fear of not having enough strength to do basic human functions for ourselves. And that's just getting into the realm of the fear of our own deaths. What about the fear of the deaths of those closest to us? Ask any parent if they're able to even think about what it would be like to lose their child, or maybe they haven't. And fear is probably a pretty appropriate word to describe that emotion. We just acknowledge that. And that's just like, death is scary. I'm just scratching the surface. It separates, it fractures, it destroys, and it divides. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. That's what's crazy. Death is not only scary, our text tells us that death is also powerful. In verse 14, our preacher says that there is a power of death and that power is strong. We can look at it in our text, we can go to a lot of scripture, but we can also look around us. Death is intimately powerful. 
It can, like, like very acute, it can destroy an individual in just a moment or sometimes even worse, over years as a body and a mind deteriorates toward the grave. It's acutely powerful, but it's also broadly destructive. Death has touched everything. That's why we see natural disasters. That's why we see these accidents and, and the effects of death are powerful as well. Things don't get better. Things, the moment they're created, they move towards death. You spend half your life just trying to maintain stuff. Go look at the trampoline falling apart in my backyard right now, right? It's only like a year and a half old and it's falling apart. I'm like, I'm just gonna have to throw it away. It's deteriorating. I was, look, uh, I try to stay up to what the city council is doing. And I was reading the paper, paper the other day and they're having to vote on replacing the rubber playground like area at Delano Park, just the rubber surface out there. Thousands of dollars, not to make it better, just to make it what it was. Like just maintaining stuff. Death affects everything. And the last thing that we see our text acknowledges about the problem of death is probably the most disconcerting, and it's this. Death is no respecter of persons. It does not matter your earthly status. Every human, no matter how great you are, no matter how much you took care of your body, which is a good thing to steward, but no matter what, we, we will all die. Death is undefeated. Like it is, we watch it. Like if you follow sports, you see like at some point, like people say it this way, you know, father time is undefeated is the way the sports announcers will say it. Like it comes for all of us whenever and however. And from the moment we're born, that's the path we're headed on. And we can try to distract ourselves. We can try to just not think about it. We can live our youthful lives and there's nothing wrong with that. But death will ultimately beat us. And we can't stop it for ourselves or those around us. Death is a problem. It is scary, it is powerful, and it is no respecter of persons. But our passage does not only acknowledge these truths, it also takes time to explore death a bit further because death is actually only a symptom of a deeper problem. We saw the problem of death, and now as we keep reading, we see the source of death. See, death is just not this abstract thing that happens. It happens for a reason, there is a root problem and it is why death is powerful and prevalent and that problem is sin. That's the source of death. Verse 14, we're told that the one who holds the power of death is the devil. As we saw a couple weeks ago, he is the one who in the garden deceived the first man and woman, convincing them that it was best to rebel against their creator. And this is how sin is the avenue by which death came into the world. Romans is very clear in that, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people. Why? Because all sinned. Sin is the source of death. And that's not good news because none of us are immune to sin. Mankind is deeply flawed and depraved. 
Though we were, we talked about original glory a few weeks ago. We were created in God's image. We have rejected that to go our own way. And we have begun to worship ourselves and those around us instead of the one who created us. And this hurts us and it hurts the ones around us. Sin brings death. Sin destroys I had to remind one of my daughters of this this week as she's getting in trouble and she brought her younger sister into this who now also got in trouble. And I was like, sin hurts you. And not only that, it hurts those around you. Sin is not harmless. It's not meaningless. It is disruptive and destructive. And it's everywhere. On an individual level, sin is in the heart of every human, of every individual Not only that, sin is in the depths of every system. It's a systemic problem. Sin affects governments, politics, churches, schools, police forces, courthouses, and communities. It is everywhere and it touches everything and it fractures and divides. And it was the goal of the enemy for this to happen to destroy the opposite of God's plan, which was cultivating life and flourishing and joy and justice and righteousness. And in its place, sin replaces that with violence, destruction, injustice, and immorality. And because of this, sin not only leads to physical death, but even worse, a spiritual and eternal death a separation from our life source who we were created to be in union with when we rebel against him and sin fractures this, we are now separated from that for eternity. And because of this, no one, I don't care how you answered the question earlier, if we are still in our sin, we are not prepared to die. The outlook of the world is pretty bleak. We are not progressing towards some greater utopia And there is no greater utopia back here that we just want to get back to and things would be better. The reality is ever since Genesis 3, ever since the fall, it's been broke. This is what the one who holds the power of death wanted. This is why the enemy dresses up sin to be desirable. He has tempted and deceived and caused humanity to call evil good and good evil. This is why we have to take sin seriously. It's why we don't play around. It's why warnings against the deceitfulness of sin are prevalent for God's people. It's not just like, I know here's some really good stuff you'd wanna do and it'd be fun, but let me keep you away from that. No, it's, it's like ripping the mask off of the sheep to show the wolf behind the mask. It is peeling back the layers to say, this destroys, this is not the way of life. This is the way of death. It's what the book of Proverbs is. It's what it's all about. But here's the problem. We can name sin, and we should, but sometimes I think we think the answer to dealing with sin is to just name it. If we just unmask it and we beat people over the head with the Proverbs and the rules and the commands, then they'll get it right. But here's the problem. Taking sin more serious doesn't loose the chains. The preacher of Hebrews uses the language of enslaved. 
The way we deal with sin sometimes is like going to a person in chains that is enslaved by their captor and yelling at them and telling them, don't you know you're enslaved? Just stop doing what your master's making you do. Just stop. It's absurd. You can yell at them and tell them to stop being a slave, but you haven't dealt with the problem. You haven't freed the man. Even if he knows he's a slave, he does not have the power to set himself free. He cannot break his own chains. And this is how it is. This is how the preacher describes us with sin and with death. This is our lot. There's the problem of death. There is the source of death. But thank God the story does not end there. Because dripping off the pages of our text is not only these realities, but also the truth about the supremacy of Jesus. As powerful as death is, Jesus is greater. He is greater than the source of death and death itself. Until Jesus, death was undefeated. But when death faced the son of God, it met its match. And this is the last thing we'll see. The death of death. And I'm gonna pick up my tissues. The death of death. See, Jesus was unwilling to watch us struggle against sin and leave us alone. Jesus was unwilling to stay distant as death wreaked havoc on humanity and enslaved the people he created. So he decided to, what our writer says in Hebrews 2.14, to share in our flesh and blood. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, the incarnation of God. Emmanuel, God with us, all because he wanted to cross the chasm, cross the divide, not to help angels, but he reaches out to help us. That's what verse 16 says, to, to, to reach out and help Abraham's offspring. That's true Israel, all God's people through belief in the gospel. And so how does he help us? How does he deal with the problem of death? He gets to the root of it. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18. Therefore, because he's reaching out to help and deal with this problem of death, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, top to bottom, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus, God, becomes like us in every way, willingly submitting himself to the limits of humanity, taking on the weaknesses of flesh and blood, 100% God who also became 100% man. 
he got physically tired. He knows what it's like to be exhausted after a long day of caring for others. He gets it when you're in that area. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He needed time to rest. He laughed. He cried. He was happy and he was sad. He had aches. He had pains. He bled like you and me. He was rejected. He was human. And the whole goal of his incarnation was to deal with sin. And he not only knows what it's like to face the natural limits of humanness, he also knows intimately what it's like to face the suffering of the temptation of sin. And so because of this, this is important for us to grasp and mind-blowing that when you are struggling against sin, Jesus is not distant and aloof, standing off saying, you got yourself in the mess. Hope you can figure it out. Let me know when you do. Because that's how I parent half the time. He's not waiting for us to finally get it right. Rather, he is a merciful and faithful high priest, faithful to intercede for us. A faithful high priest is making atonement for the sins and bringing them into the presence of God, not kicking them out. He is empathetic and understanding. Like, and this, this is like changing the way I parent. Like, I know this in my head, but like when I was talking to my daughter the other day about the danger of her sin, because it's easy, like I'm like, why would you eat food in your room? I've told you a million times, not allowed to have food in your room. Why are you hiding it? But then like, I'm like, this is not how God deals with me. So I'm like, hey, Ev, I wasn't supposed to say who it was. Ev, I, I think from the mind of a seven-year-old who sees candy and food and they want it, I said, it's hard, huh? It's hard. And, and I get it. And, and then it's hard to not lie about it because you don't want to get in trouble. And so I get that. And even more so, Jesus gets it. He understands. Do we see Jesus is holding that loving posture toward us when we are in the midst of giving in a temptation? Because I'm much more inclined to think he's angry at me, disappointed. But the scriptures paint the truth for Jesus. He is on our side. He is for us. It's also important for us to have a category of suffering that is fighting sin's temptation. Most of the time, we have two categories for suffering. General suffering, like someone I love died, okay, and that is suffering. Then the other category we have is persecution, somebody actively hurting us because we are standing up for the gospel, okay? There is a third category in scriptures, not only here, go read 1 Peter, that suffering is fighting temptation of sin, it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. And this shifts. So when we see the temptation, instead of throwing on guilt to an already difficult struggle, we recognize that it's hard and that Jesus recognizes that it's hard. God gets it. As the psalmist said, he knows our frame and he remembers that you're simply dust. but he also gets it because he became flesh. He faced the same thing. 
Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. This is later, but I know you guys are going to forget it by the time we get there. So I'm going to jump ahead. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for you do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as you are yet without sin. So if that's true, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. When you are facing temptation and when you've completely given in, don't run away from Jesus. Run to a throne that is dripping with grace and receive his mercy there. Your sin is not too much. Grace abounds all the more. Jesus does not only sympathize in your struggle against sin, he does that intimately. He crawls down into the mess, but he's also the great high priest who deals with it. He atoned for it, propitiated for it. Hebrews will explore this in more detail later about Jesus as our high priest. But for now, I want you to think about what it means that he has atoned for us. This idea of atonement is both dealing with the judicial penalty of sin, this propitiation, his life for ours, but also a holistic restoration of a relationship, okay? The whole goal of atonement, even on the old covenant, was so that people could be in the presence of God. It's not just this arbitrary thing where God just is judged. That's a piece of it, but it's also God as father and restoring that relationship. And so there was a need for a perfect sacrifice who could make atonement for the people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so on the cross, Jesus becomes the lamb slain. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is also the scapegoat on whom the sins of the people are placed, sent outside the city to suffer, bearing your guilt and your shame. He atones for us and deals with our sin once and for all. He's not sacrificed over and over and over once for all. And in dealing with sin, he deals with death. Back to verses 14 and 15. It's what we're told. Through his death, through the death of Jesus, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and not just tell them they're in sin, but actually free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Welcome to the death of death. By dying, Jesus destroyed death and the one who wielded its power. So upside down, doesn't make sense. He does it by dying as he is led to the instrument of his death, this Roman cross where he will be hanged. The crowd jeers and they mock him, yelling, why don't you save yourself? Unaware that he was actually saving the world. His hanging begins, but the irony is they seek to slay Jesus, but instead they slay sin. Because Jesus became what he hates, so we might become the ones he loves. Mm 
and the upside down way of his kingdom. Though Jesus really did die, it was really his physical body that was laid in the grave. But because he became our sin, he did not go to the grave alone. Death was also buried in the tomb that day. Jesus and death both go together to the grave, but only one is getting back up. And even though the enemy once held the power of death, on Easter morning, mm-hmm. it all changes. Hallelujah. On that third day, the ground shakes, stone rolls away, and up from the grave, Jesus has raised. Loosed our chains, death is now slain, and the king reigns. Death has died, never more to return. Death is no longer undefeated. It took a massive L and it'll never recover from it. (laughs) Through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, death has lost its sting. So even though in the here and now, we acknowledge we still see the effects of sin, we get it, it's up close and personal, but the sting is gone, so we no longer have to fear death. Through the power of the spirit, we can look death in its face and mock it. That's what the scripture is that says, oh, death, where is your sting? That's mocking it. Death is the one thing it's called a trash talk. Where's your sting? It's gone. Grave, where's your victory? Oh, yeah, you lost. I love the way the rapper Trip Lee puts it in a song ready is what it's called. It talks about losing his father to death and it talks about being ready to die. And in the last verse, he talks directly to death and this is what he says. Those of you that don't know rap, just excuse the grammar. Here we go. But hey, death, please know, we won't have much to grieve foe because you got to rhyme it, okay? When all your wins are repoed and the reaper reaps what he sowed, so I ain't going to run from you. What I got to flee for. Did it hurt your self-esteem when you heard your sting was no more? Amen. Except he says, no, mo, mo, mo. And my kids love that part. It's good. Go check it out. This is good news. See, we try to cope with the reality of death by saying it's just a part of life. But it's not. It was never meant to be that way. Things in the garden, we're not dying, but now through the work of Christ, things get put back together again and death and hell go to the grave where they belong. And for those in Christ, there is no power over us. It's why we can sing no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Exchange the power of death for the power of Christ. And he's going to return and finish the work completely. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. Not only will the sting of death be gone, but the presence of death will be gone. And as we begin to believe this, we are actually freed in the here and now from the fear of death. We are no longer slaves to the fear of loss and death, whether it be physical death or the loss of a dream or a reality or a relationship or an ideal we once had. And don't get me wrong, Like, 
Fear and death and loss and pain, doubt, that all still exist in one sense. We can be honest about that. We can admit that death is hard. This is not some hope that just glosses over the depths of suffering and grief. We can grieve, but not as those who have no hope. If death and the one who wields it has been destroyed, then there is nothing left to fear. And this can change us from placing safety as the top priority in our life. Safety for me and the ones I love. I just wanna live as long as I can, which is just a freaking blip on the radar of eternity. And we spend all our lives grasping for that. Instead, we move from safety to stewardship and say, this is God's and it can be stewarded for his kingdom, both for myself and those I love. And I don't say that without recognizing the sacrifice that that is. But the good news of the gospel does not ignore the depths of grief, but it does free us to look it in its face, look suffering in its face and walk right into it. Because we know that that death, that pain, that suffering, that temptation, it's all just become a slave to the purposes of God. Just like the enemy, when they placed Jesus on the cross, inadvertently helped accomplish the atoning work of salvation for all, now in Christ, your life, the enemy's work of temptation and death in your life will only serve to bring about God's glory and your good. This is the, the, the massive upside down nature of the gospel. Instead of us now being enslaved to death, death is now a slave to the glorious work that God is doing in your life. And so I finish where I started. Are you prepared to die? And if you answer that question by talking about the things you've accomplished in your life or the will that you've prepared or the investments you've made or the life insurance plan you have, I might have to push back a bit because who can really ever do enough to make sure you're prepared to die? But if by God's grace, you could answer that question by saying, I have no other argument. I have no other plea, but it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. It is only the death and resurrection of Jesus that could ever remove the sting of our death. And so the invitation is, if you don't know Jesus, we want you to know him like that. All the things of this age will let you down and they're all taking you towards death. But in Christ, there is life offered to you. And for those who do know Jesus, I want you to be encouraged that death and the source of death, your sin has all been fully dealt with by Jesus. Hear me clearly. It is not your battle to fight. The work is finished. It is accomplished. It is complete. So rest in the work of Christ. Because death is dead, you are, are now free to live.